Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Um, let's, let's pray, if you would join me in prayer. Our Father, um, Lord, that is our prayer this morning, that Christ would be evident through us, Lord, in, in everything, that Christ would be magnified by our lives. Lord God, you are compassionate and gracious. You are slow to anger. You are abounding in loving kindness and truth. You are faithful to your covenant. You forgive our sins. You keep our promise, keep your promises. You hear our prayers. Our Lord, we praise you for who you are. Lord, we praise you for what you have done for us through Christ. And we want your glory to be made known to everyone around us, Father. Uh, we know that if it weren't for your mercies, we would be unworthy to come before you, and yet we know that through Christ we can come boldly with confidence before your throne. Lord, thank you for your love toward us. Thank you for the many ways that you bless us, uh, whether that's materially or spiritually or, or relationally, Lord, you bless us in so many ways. Thank you for drawing us together and calling us your people. Father, we pray this morning that you would encourage those among us who are brokenhearted. We pray that you would provide for our daily needs. We pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, Lord, I pray this morning that you would speak through Greg as he comes up in just a couple minutes to, to speak, Lord, um, to preach. I pray that you would empower him by your spirit that you would speak to us this morning from your word and, and through the things that Greg has to say, Lord. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would guide and lead each and every one of us by your spirit uh, to serve one another in ways that are um, honoring to you and good for each other. Lord, help us not to be complacent with the good gifts that you've given us, but help us to, to use them for the building up of the church. Lord, we thank you for your many, many blessings to us, and we just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, two quick announcements, um, and then I'll um, invite Justin up here to read the scriptures. Um, the first announcement is in your bulletin, um, if you have one of these. Um, in the bulletin, uh, there is a night of prayer this Thursday at 7.30. We're going to have a time of prayer, um, and there will be a number of things that we're going to be praying about. I believe Greg's going to lead us in a couple songs, and then we'll, we'll pray together. I would highly encourage you to come out to this. Um, this, is, this is something that uh, we are continually trying to make more of an uh, emphasis for our church, is going before the Lord in prayer and making sure that that is a major part of who we are and what we do. And so I would love it if, if everybody here could be out um, this evening at um, seven thir- uh, this Thursday evening at 7.30. Yeah, don't get that confused. Everybody shows up and it's the wrong time. Um, Thursday at 7.30, so I hope you can make it there. Um, the other thing that I would announce is we do have our life group study guides. These are available at the back door, and we have some more um, back in the office in case we run out there. But um, be sure to pick those up if you're in a, a life group. Even if you're not, you're still welcome to those. So um, those are my announcements for this morning. We're glad you're here. Justin, if you could come on up here, we'll have you read the scripture. Thanks. Good morning, Reliance. Today's scripture passage is found in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. 
And would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. So Romans 12, 3 through 8 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You may be seated. Good morning. I'm not normally over here. I'm normally over there. It's kind of weird. I'm not really used to that. There's nothing in my hands. There's nothing to do. You know, what am I doing up here? Uh, I'm up here because Jacob didn't show up, and Adam is too tired. That's why I'm up here this morning. No, that's not true. Would you guys pray again with me this morning? Father, thank you that we are the body of Christ. Thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you. I pray that you'd help me to stay humble, Father, as your servant. And I'd speak what you'd want me to communicate that we would care well for one another as a body too, Father, that we would receive your truth and as living sacrifices be united in our call as the church to seek and understand the spiritual gifts that Paul presents for us this morning. Uh, My heart goes out to Haiti still this morning, Father, um, just from my relationships there. And I pray, Father, for the missionaries that are still held captive and that you would would care for them and help them to care for their enemies, Father. Father, We pray for the churches in the Tri-Cities, not just Reliance, Father. But we pray that we would be united as a people and that there be less fractions amongst us. Help us to care for one another well and to serve with uh, open hands. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, yeah, so Jacob asked me to preach a couple months ago. So yeah, this is not spur-of-the-moment stuff. This is Greg knowing hopefully what he's doing. And so he's coming up this morning to talk to you. Um, so yeah, um, I was saying like, I'm over here, right? Most of the time, normally I have a guitar in my hands. I love worship. I love to sing songs. I love to encourage people to worship in the things that they're doing, whether they're big or small or whatever that is. And um, the best part actually is that I get to work with really servant-hearted people. <laughs> so do me this favor. If you see anybody who's been working in the sound booth, or who's been up front, it is not the easiest thing in the world, especially back there. Because anytime, anytime, anytime something happens, everybody turns like this. Okay, so encourage these guys because they're awesome. They're so faithful to serve and to care for one another um, and to care for you. It, I mean, they're here early, they're here at rehearsals. It's a lot. So be sure to do that. That's from me to you. But yeah, I'm grateful to be able to preach this morning. Um, 
When I talk about worship, what I mean is that I want to encourage what Paul had written two weeks ago, uh, Romans 12, 1 through 2, finding ways to be a living sacrifice for God out of joy as worship. But it's also about changing our thinking. And I know Jacob's preached a lot on this lately. How do we change our minds to reflect what we worship on? Paul admonishes us to have our thinking changed as a means of worship. So I'm going to backpedal a little bit from kind of where we are now, being Romans 6 through 8. I want to backpedal just to the beginning and just kind of work our way. Why are we talking about spiritual gifts this morning? So let's take a look at Romans 12, 1 through 3. Paul writes in here again, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So when I'm talking about worship, for me, right, is that I love to encourage, and I love to teach, and I love to help people see and do acts of worship around them to build up the body of Christ, because I want the church to love Jesus more, so that even in these small, mundane, probably really repetitive tasks, and Jesus, follow me on this, okay, I want Christ to be the center of brushing your teeth, okay, caring for an infant, reconciling your bank statements, taking your medications, having coffee with friends, going to church, and turning off your spouse's alarm clock. Um, My wife turns my alarm clock off, and she finally changed it. It was this, like, sci-fi Twilight Zone-sounding thing, and everybody was waking up, so there's there's legitimate grounds for that being an act of worship, okay? My wife was like, to the glory of God, I'm turning this off. So, I, yeah, I love to encourage that. I love to encourage people. I love to teach people. And I've seen that in so many years of serving the body of Christ that God's allowed me to see some of my gifting as being an encourager and a teacher. It's been by God's grace that I've been able to identify those gifts. But just because I see those in my life doesn't mean I always use them rightly. Can you guys follow me with that? We neglect, a lot of times, the proper use of our gifts. I'm not always faithful to teach well or consistently, and I'm not always faithful to encourage well or consistently. Part of my gifting has been to, like, get people to love the gospel, but I fall short. What I like to do sometimes is I'll nurse those gifts for myself. They don't always get used. They stay within me, and then something happens. I use them as devices to secretly criticize other people. Has anybody done this? No, no, of course not, right? But I don't seek the Lord. I criticize other people's works. I puff myself up, and I make myself proud, and I think, ah, whatever, I wouldn't do it that way, right? Because I know something. I have spiritual gifts. I have expert knowledge, and so I'm quick to criticize others in their walk of the Lord. It's a way of boasting, isn't it? It's not showing the love of God. And because it's not showing the love of God, I'm doing something for my own righteousness. I want to be seen as right. I'm using my gifts to propel that. It's never to seek others to help correct me or change me, to change my thinking. That's not using spiritual gifts, is it? Because we're not operating out of love at that point. 
But we all get in that rut. It's easy to keep one another. So Jacob doing this last week, keeping one another at a hand's distance. How long have we been doing that? Forever. Long time. Because we're so less prone to get hurt if we do that, aren't we? It's easier to not expose ourselves to critique or criticism or failure. It's easy to keep our spiritual gifts to ourselves because we can develop them without the real red tape of community and relationships, without a real exposure within the church and with the church being involved in our lives. But that's not the way our gifts were intended to be given or stewarded by God. They're not developed on our own. They're gifts given by his grace to build up the church. And because of that, we should use our spiritual gifts as an act of worship. So Paul continues his thinking in verses four through five. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Okay, so membership. We're not talking about video club cards. Do you know what that is? If you don't Google it, it was a thing. It was awesome. Um, Video stores were the best. Um, I don't like the Netflix thing because I get sucked in it. So video stores were like, I get to get in my car and go get anyway, whatever. But the point is, is that the word member is not talking about that. It's kind of an obscure thing. Paul's talking about the body, right? Members of a body. So the word member can be just translated part. Or like part, like a body part, like an arm, like an eye, like a limb, some sort of weird extraneous limb or a sixth finger, right? Something cool like that. I don't have a sixth finger. It's used in the New Testament to mean that. So no person on their own is merely a body part. It takes multiple parts to even qualify as being a person. So that means we can't live apart from each other. You see where I'm going with that? On the other hand, if we force ourselves to be together without a proper motivation, we might also cause some problems. Uh, it's like Frankenstein's monster. You guys remember that? He's got like weird body parts conjoined together and it's super haphazard and distracting and possibly terrifying. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's not the body of Christ. Everybody go like, yes, this is not the body. No, no, heavens no. Okay. So we're called to be members out of love, though, as our motivation. And that's what the body looks like. To assist and provide for one another, even at our own expense. So we don't all have the same function, yet we're all parts of the same whole. We need each other. I'm just too weak on my own by God's design to be able to fill the idea of being a body unto myself. It's just not, not a possible thing. So what do we do and how do we think about our spiritual gifts then? This morning, I want to take a look at four things. Um, One is, how are we given spiritual gifts? What are they for? What are the gifts in this passage, and how should we use them? Paul's talking about lots of different means by which our gifts are talked about, and it seems almost strange how he transitions into this. We'll talk about that, too. So let's turn our attention here to Romans 12, 6 through 8, if you guys want to read along with me. This is where we're going to dwell a lot here. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 
So this is weird. Like, Paul's throwing this list of stuff. He's like, be members of a body. Also, here's a list of spiritual gifts. That makes no sense, does it? But he's not just doing that. He's appealing to how we are to be individual members of the body. How we're to behave and act and use our spiritual gifts. So he's listing these to describe that everything comes from the same spirit, that the Holy Spirit apportions each gift to us individually as he wills. But that's not all. He's also supplying this imperative, this like, you got to go do this thing behind it. The spiritual gifts given to us aren't meant for us to just enjoy, but they're meant for the whole body. They're meant for the church. So how are they given? Gifts are given by God's grace. That's it. It's right there in verse 6. They're not a reward. They're not even necessarily developed over time, but are given by God's grace in his timing. So they aren't earned. And that means that they're not a sign of how spiritual we are. Isn't that great? I don't have to puff myself up by having a better spiritual gift than somebody else. Since they're given out of grace, we should use them out of grace. So where does Paul command us that we need to find out what our spiritual gift is? That's the next part of this, right? Um, He says we need to take a spiritual gift survey. And Adam's got one prepared for you all at the end of the service. Just fill it out there in the foyer. That is not it at all. That's not it. No, of course not. Now, there's no listing of should we even know what our spiritual gift is in the New Testament. Isn't that weird? Wouldn't you think that there'd be some kind of indicator for that? He assumes that we each have a spiritual gift and that it's specific to us, though, doesn't he? He says we all have spiritual gifts. But he doesn't specify how we're to know them. So here's my thought. In some sense, we already know that we're gifted. If our desires are for the Lord and we are working in the body, then we can expect to be operating in the Spirit. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 and 11. Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's not just one gift. There's a variety of these. But they come from the same place. And then in verse 11, he says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I don't get to determine it. He apportions it. That means I don't have to go seeking for something that I might not find. So it's okay that we don't know our spiritual gifting, if we don't know what it is. But each of us individually are equipped with something that another individual doesn't have. We can use that for living the Christian life and caring for one another and being cared for by other members of the body, even if we can't pinpoint the specifics. So if if you're thinking about spiritual giftings, think of it this way. Your spiritual gift is there, right? But maybe it's not revealed to you to prevent a spirit of pride. Or maybe it's there and it's not revealed to you to prevent making your gift an idol. Or maybe it's there, and God's given you confidence in your gifting. That's cool, too. But all of these are given to us individually by a different means, so that way we are well cared for by God's Spirit. And we can serve the body in those ways. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 6. You guys will turn there with me. We all know this chapter. It's the love chapter. But isn't it funny? This is right smack dab after... 
he talks about spiritual gifts. This is in, in 1 Corinthians 12. He's talking about how we're to use our gifts by this chapter. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, that sounds fantastic. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's how we're supposed to use our spiritual gifts, out of a means and a foundation of love, not one of condescension or bragging or separation, where we say, well, these guys over here have this gift, so we'll just treat them differently than the rest of the body. We'll segregate them out. Let's not do that. Paul wants us to see love as the root of our gifts. It supersedes the actions of the gifts. So let's take a look at what he lays out for us in Romans. We're going to take a look at each gift that he's laying out. So just follow me. There's, there's a point to this. Paul's got a point to this. This is great. Romans twelve six, he writes about the gift of prophecy. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, and I really wish he didn't lead off with this one, Does anybody know what this means? This is so complicated. There's so much debate today among academics and denominations and pastors and the lady who lives underneath you in your apartment. Everybody has an opinion about what this is. If it's active, if it functions today, how does it function today? So I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of the specifics of like that, okay? But I do want to focus on a few things. I think that the first thing Paul mentions is that he prizes this gift. This is one that he really treats different than the other ones. He loves this gift. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 3, he writes, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So prophecy is this, can be planned out, can be spontaneous, gift of sharing a word from God. It's specific for a situation or an individual, and it contains elements of like telling the future, right? We've all kind of heard about this. It's often displayed in preaching or teaching or exhortation or in conversations, but it also has something to it where it's intelligently communicated, right? A prophet's not just going, or something, and we all know what that means. Uh, Not like the gift of tongues, it's different. But this is something he understands when he's saying it, but he may not understand the full depth of what he's saying. Does that make sense? He's been admonishing us to care for how we think, and I think that's why Paul prizes this gift so much, is that this is one that we all know intellectually edifies the mind. That's why uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 14, places so much weight on it, as just being greater than speaking in tongues. But there is a catch to this gift. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 through 22, Moses writes, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, 
that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Whoops. And if you say in your heart, how will we know that the word of the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So in the Old Testament, a prophet needs to be 100% correct, okay? Or else he should be stoned or killed. That's great. It's good news. All right, let's go. Let's go forth and prophesy. This is cool. Um, I know that we live under the new covenant and that we're not told to go kill the false teachers among us. But there is something that is so weighty here. Paul doesn't want us to just sit with, um, with us not caring about what we say. He really cares about what we say, especially when we're, speaking on, when we're speaking on God's behalf. That seems to be really important. It has to be completely accurate with Scripture and not have any inerrancy in it, or else it has to be completely dismissed. Completely dismissed. Those who have, uh, Paul talks to us about using our gifts of prophecy in proportion with one's faith. So those of us who have less faith in the Lord might be want to be less, a little, less quick to speak. There, I got it out. Be less quick to speak, because maybe we don't have the right boldness or confidence. But for those of us who do have that boldness and confidence, we should probably share that, teach others how to share their boldness and confidence, to share in grace and truth. Because faith is a gift from God, too. So we shouldn't compare ourselves with others to, in our confidence, but we should ask God to increase our faith to be more bold. Um, a quick aside, you guys have probably known these people. There's, um, you know when you go and you're talking to a friend maybe and they're like, well, my pastor says I have the gift of prophecy. You know, I like to, I like to cut it straight. I like to tell it like it is and I don't hold back and I'm not a people pleaser, right? I'm like Paul, right? Paul wasn't a people pleaser. Okay, Paul had friends. Okay, you read the end of Romans and you're gonna be like, oh, he had lots of friends. So when you're talking like that, be aware, maybe you should check to see if you have friends too. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think uh, Paul is wanting us to dismiss grace towards one another. He cares about this Roman church, doesn't he? That's why he's writing the letter. He cares about the church in Galatia. He cares about the church in Corinth. But if we act like we don't care, if we're just cutting it straight, we're God's man, right? That's just, maybe you're just a cruel guy. Your pastor doesn't know what to do with you. I don't know but we should probably look at how our relationships are. It's not good just to spout off cruel things. So my, my admonition is, body of Christ, we need people to speak truth to one another and grace to us. We need the truth of God in our midst. So Paul shifts gears because we're like, prophecy, cool, that's a real spiritual gift. And then he goes to the next one, it's service. Yeah, like, those don't seem the same, Right? Those don't seem the same to me. Um, he writes, if serving, or excuse me, if service in our serving, that's the next thing he points out. It feels like a mundane gift. This is not fancy. This is not special. At this point, it's like, hey, speaking in tongues, words of knowledge, prophecy, stacking chairs. Cool. Let's go forth, church. Everyone, get those chairs. Um, we love to give weight to gifts that seem more special, though, don't we? But Paul lists all these gifts together. That's kind of interesting, too. 
He's, by doing this, he's saying that these gifts bear the same weight. He might value prophecy more, but these all bear the same weight. They're all in the same list. The gift of service is just as important as the others because the body needs all of its members. We can't all just be a bunch of prophets speaking truth to one another. We have to do something. We need all of our parts to be a complete body. So the gift of service is not completely defined. And you'll see that with the rest of the gifts that Paul describes. It's squishier to pin down the specifics because that's part of the point, right? We're commanded to serve one another, but sometimes there's specific needs or gifts that we are all called to individually that are different than one another's. So if we pin it down in Scripture, we're all stuck doing the same thing. Sometimes we probably don't even see those gifts as spiritual. We probably just see them as something we have done forever. They're physical gifts. But caring is a spiritual act. When we care for one another, that is a spiritual act. There's so many ways to serve. In uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So I was making a joke about stacking chairs, but every time I think about stacking chairs, I think of the greatest stair stacker. There we go, chair stacker of them all, Pastor Adam. He is amazing. Guys, like if the number seven is the number of perfection, Adam will stack them to eight high, okay? He knows how to stack chairs. He's amazing at this thing. And I can't think of a single week I haven't been here where we've not stacked chairs or restacked chairs or unstacked chairs or something like that. So like every week for the perspectives course or maybe a wedding or just different things that are going on. And Adam's there. He's just like, bam, chair master. He's awesome. It's a beautiful thing, guys. Um, it's not in the Bible, right? Stacking chairs. Like if we're thinking this is in the scripture, we're crazy people. It's not. But... There's some truth to what Adam's saying when he's saying like, so he's, he's telling me this, okay? This isn't just me saying this. Adam says it himself. He's like, I think I have the spiritual gift of stacking church. But I think there's truth to this. I think God has given Adam more than just the gift of stacking chairs. So let's be fair. He is a wonderful teacher and a communicator. He's a good friend. But he's definitely not more than a servant and not less than a servant and how he approaches this church. There's a lot of sacrifice and a lot of time that he's put in into little nitty-gritty details you will probably never see. And so that extends to those small things like stacking chairs, all the way to vacuuming, or preaching, or counseling, or caring for souls. But yeah, he's really good at stacking chairs. So we'll just, I want to keep that at the forefront. Adam, chair stacker, that's what, he's, that's what he does. So our gifts of service might seem small, but they reach out to all the different corners of the body. We need to embrace them and serve fully in what is before us. So Paul tells us to use our gifts of service by doing acts of service. So my admonition is servers. For those of you who serve in small things or big things, throw yourself into this body. Help it to grow. Teach us how to serve. And likewise, teach us how to be served. We need that rest too, as you Serve with your whole heart because so many of us are weak and don't see the physical and spiritual needs around us. So teaching. Paul writes next, the one who teaches in his teaching. It's passing on the truth of the gospel and the surrounding implications or the like appendages around it, right? 
It's those who have this gift should use their gifts to educate or produce knowledge of God's word to help the body grow. Practically, it looks like, I don't know, reading a bunch of books, developing ideas, teaching over the dinner table. Might be super informal. Might be teaching a class or a um, Sunday school group, something like that. Um, Over a meal, classroom, I don't know. But the commission Paul gives is that we should be, teaching should be used by teaching. Like, duh, right? That's a big duh. But if, again, remember what I was talking about earlier? Gifts that are not used are not actually spiritual gifts. You can't teach unless you're teaching. What are you doing at that point? Nothing. Not doing anything like teaching. By definition, it's not even teaching, I guess, at that point, right? If it's, you're just maybe learning some things. has no use whatsoever for the body at that point. So we need you teachers. Help us to grow in our knowledge of Christ so we can exercise our minds, better edify one another having the mind of Christ. He turns to exhortation. And if somebody in this room can tell me what exhortation means, that'd be great for the sermon this morning. Um, I'm kidding. That's, you're, it's funny. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's different than teaching, right? Exhortation is not the same thing as teaching. He writes, the one who exhorts and his exhortation. It's like the one who teaches and is teaching. Okay. But it's different. Otherwise, why would he even include it in the list? It would just be teaching again, be redundant. But exhortation can also be translated encourage. It's the same thing. The one who encourages Specifically, it's encouraging others to move forward in their Christian life, to move forward in their Christian living as being living sacrifices. That's what he's talking about. I think that we have a huge deficit of this right now. Not just here. I I don't think just here. I think just in general, as the church, the big church. I don't know a lot of people who are out there encouraging one another right now. It's hard. The work is hard. We're so fractured. It's hard to get up and out of bed for some of us, just let alone be an an encouragement or be encouraged. I feel like the encouragers need encouraged to encourage. There you go. There's a lot of people who find it hard to keep moving in their convictions because they don't have people behind them to help build them up, to exhort or encourage them, to press on. So my admonition is this. We need you, encouragers. Please build us up with your words and your heart. Help us to exercise our faith in Christ. The giver. Same verse, Paul talks about the one who contributes in generosity. The gift of giving, which Paul lists, isn't specific about giving to just individuals or just the church or even necessarily whose money they're giving. Kind of leaves room, just like the other squishy gifts. But we can have that, can't we? And do it begrudgingly. I can give something I have, and I can just say, good, or whatever, take it. I'm tired, just take it so you don't keep coming to me again. We like to hold on to our resources. Maybe we have an abundance of it. We like to hold on to it, and we like to nurse that too. But we forget the heart that Paul tells us to use when we're giving. Giving generously. Not just for our gain, or for our loss. I really don't want this problem anymore. Sure, you take it, right? That's for my loss is your your loss, frankly, (laughs) at that point. But it's the true indicator that someone has the gift of giving is that generous spirit behind it. It might be something small. It might be something large. We should be grateful for those who do give in our body, yes? We need you givers. 
When you share your means with us, it teaches us to share our means with others. Builds up the body of Christ. Give generously so we can learn that ultimately everything is given by God and the way that it's given by God. God gives generously. Those who lead, the one who leads with zeal. In this context, leading most likely applies to elders and overseers. Clearly, there are leaders in the body who serve in various ministries. And since we're talking about the body of Christ, we're talking about those who have the gift of leading the body. But that applies to other people too, not just elders and overseers. I know that you're out there. But those who have specifically this gift of elder or overseer, they have to desire the office before the other qualifications are even prescribed. Some of you, if you were ever to test whether you should be an elder or overseer, the first question you should ask is, do I want it? That's what Paul says. If you look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, he says this, saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You gotta want it. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. I think that's the indicator of the spiritual gift of eldership, leadership in this church. And Paul's mentioning it here because this is specific to the body. He's talking about those who shepherd the whole church in that way. So the admonition is this. Sometimes as a leader, you get criticism. Whoa, shocking. It's crazy. But it's like being eaten by a duck. It's like it has this little gummy beak thing, and it's kind of doing this forever. That's what it feels like sometimes to be a leader. And it just doesn't stop. It's kind of weird, too. It's hard to lead because you want to be faithful to God and loving others, but we also need to be cared for well in that way, too, right? Just criticisms. It's not the no criticisms, it's just just criticisms. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. As those who have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So my admonition is this. Leaders, we need you. Continue to lead us well and be gentle with us, especially when we bite back. The last gift that Paul talks about is showing mercy. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the only time in the New Testament that Paul talks about mercy being done by a person, by a human. Every other time in the New Testament, he's talking about God's mercy, not ours. We don't give mercy well. All good mercy comes from God, and that's the point. We should be merciful because he is merciful. This can be any kind of act of mercy, anything from caring for the elderly or the afflicted or the brokenhearted or visiting the sick, taking care of the wounded. But we should do it with cheerfulness because it's easy to get burdened by the needs and the the cares and the worries of others that we are caring for, right? We should have a cheerful heart when we're doing that, knowing that God has mercy towards us and he is cheerful, We need those who show mercy to remind us of how merciful God is. We need you, mercy givers. Teach us compassion and willing hearts to go to the lowly to bring restoration as you gently help us heal by God's grace. And that's it. God's grace is how we receive these spiritual gifts. 
We haven't even touched on the other stuff, like in 1 Corinthians 12 or Ephesians 4. They're just what Paul has listed in Romans 12. But we need to, the, the, way that we, the way that we move forward is we practice our gift in loving the body and the body parts. So try to learn your gifting. And if you can't, because God won't let you, throw yourself into the work of the church. So the question then is like, okay, Greg, that's cute. That's really great. What do you guys do? What do we do here? This is, what, do we, what happens here? Okay, guys, I have a really cool solution. This is amazing. You're going to be like, this is going to be so cool. There's this magical thing inside your bulletin. It's blue. And it even says something on here that says, I'm interested in serving. That's incredible. I had no idea I could figure this out. Um, I'm being sarcastic. It's not very nice. But you could, you could check your box on this connection card. And you could even just say, hey, what do you guys do here? Or I'm interested more in about ways that we serve at Reliance. The other really great option is there's a membership class on November 7th. For those of you who are not members, don't hear me push you just to membership. But if you don't know what that is, this would be a great opportunity to learn what being a church member is. So I would just submit that to you guys. I think those are great ways to start moving forward because I don't think you're going to regret seeking to use your gifts for the church. So this builds us up. We need everyone, especially when we're so fractured. We should desire these gifts, but we shouldn't covet what another person has. And we should honor one another's gifts, but we should never idolize a gift. We should be wise in how we use our gifts, but we shouldn't be stingy or stagnant in our participation. Let's get busy. Let's get busy serving one another with our gifts. Let's throw ourselves into the family of God and love his people in a way that bring him honor and praise and worship. Let's pray. Father, help us to see the gifts of your spirit. Give us confidence to use the gifts you've given to us to help the church grow in their care for one another.